0: Hi, my name is Brian. Welcome to Episode 6 in the podcast, Homo Deus, Humanity's Evolution from Social Institutions to World Peace. In Chapter 6 of his book, Harari sums up our current predicament well. Modernity is a deal, he tells us. Humans agree to give up meaning in exchange for power. This deal is fueled by economic growth, and the hope of endless future economic growth. The nemesis of this deal is ecological collapse, including climate change. Is it rational to put our hope for the future in continuing economic growth? If not, where can we find hope? Hope is a key reason I wanted to make this podcast. Sometimes I find it difficult to hope. We know the science on climate change, yet we are unable to make progress. In addition, the political landscape sometimes looks like it is deteriorating, and we seem powerless to address the injustice and suffering that many people are experiencing. I do acknowledge the progress we have made on many things, and am thankful for it. Unfortunately, it seems to me that our progress is fragile. It is fueled by growth, and if we ever find ourselves unable to grow the economy, all the gains we have made may be swept away. For those of you who have listened to the previous episodes, you will know that I do have hope, but in something else. I have hope in humanity's potential to evolve. I have hope that humanity is on the verge of a second cognitive revolution and that a new version of ourselves will emerge that cooperates in a new way. Instead of cooperating based on violence management through social institutions, humanity will learn to cooperate selflessly at the grassroots level. Probably to some listeners, This hope is a crazy fantasy. Maybe so, but it is probably less crazy than the fantasy that we can continue on the path of economic growth indefinitely. But don't take it from me. In Chapter 6 of his book, Harari summarizes our current situation better than I ever could. Let's listen to Harari describe our predicament, and then reconsider which fantasy is crazier that we will evolve a new way of cooperating, or that we will evolve into super-tech humans and continue on the path of economic growth forever. As noted, Harari picks up in this chapter where he left off in the last one, describing how modernity is a deal. The entire modern contract can be summarized in a single phrase. Humans agree to give up meaning in exchange for power. We can do anything we want, provided we can find a way. But on the other hand, there is no meaning, and nothing has any purpose. If modernity has a motto, it is shit happens. The modern pursuit of power is fueled by the alliance between scientific progress and economic growth. For most of history, science progressed at a snail's pace and the economy was in a deep freeze. This cycle was eventually broken in the modern age thanks to people's growing trust in the future and the resulting miracle of credit. Credit is the economic manifestation of trust. Hindu revivalists, pious Muslims, Japanese nationalists, and Chinese communists may declare their adherence to very different values and goals but they have all come to believe that economic growth is the key to realizing their disparate goals. It may not be wrong to call the belief in economic growth a religion, because it now purports to solve many, if not most, of our ethical dilemmas. As religions go, capitalism can at least hold its head high. Unlike other religions that promise pie in the sky when you die, Capitalism promises miracles here on earth, and sometimes it even delivers. However, the fly in the ointment is that capitalism depends on growth. It will never reach a moment where it says, That's it, that's enough growth, we can now take it easy. So Harari asks the question Can the economy actually keep on growing forever? Or will we eventually run out of resources? and see the economy grind to a halt. Herring then explains that there are three kinds of resources. Raw materials, energy, and knowledge. Raw materials and energy are exhaustible. The more you use, the less you have. Knowledge, in contrast, is a growing resource. The more you use, the more you have. This at least opens the potential of unlimited growth. But the nemesis of the modern economy is ecological collapse. An ecological meltdown will cause economic ruin, political turmoil, a fall in human standards of living, and might even threaten the very existence of human civilization. In response to this threat, it might be a good idea to slow down the pace of progress and growth. But the creed of growth firmly objects to such a heretical idea. Instead, it suggests we should run even faster. If our discoveries destabilize the ecosystem and threaten humanity, then we should discover something to protect ourselves. Beijing already has become so polluted that people avoid the outdoors and wealthy Chinese pay thousands of dollars for indoor air purifying systems. The super-rich even build protective contraptions over their yards. In 2013, the International School of Beijing, which caters to the children of foreign diplomats and upper-class Chinese, went a step further and constructed a gigantic $5 million dome over their six tennis courts, and playing fields. Other schools are following suit, and the Chinese air purification market is booming. Of course, most of Beijing's residents cannot afford such luxuries in their homes, or to send their kids to the international school. Humanity finds itself locked into a double bind. On the one hand, we feel compelled to speed up the pace of scientific progress and economic growth. A billion Chinese and a billion Indians want to live like middle-class Americans. And they see no reason to put their dreams on hold when the Americans are unwilling to give up their SUVs and shopping malls. On the other hand, we must remain at least one step ahead of ecological Armageddon. Managing this double race becomes more difficult by the year, because every stride that brings the Delhi slum dwellers closer to the American dream also brings the planet closer to the brink. The good news, Harari tells us, is that for hundreds of years, humankind has enjoyed a growing economy without falling prey to ecological meltdown. Yet future success is not guaranteed by any law of nature. Who knows if science will always be able to simultaneously save the economy from freezing and the ecology from boiling. And since the pace just keeps accelerating, the margins for error keep on narrowing. If previously it was sufficient to invent something amazing once a century... Now we need a miracle invention every two years. Let's pause on Harari's comment that future success isn't guaranteed by any law of nature. After the evidence he has presented, it seems more reasonable to say that future disaster is guaranteed by the laws of nature. We need a miracle invention every two years? I'm sorry, that's difficult to believe in. Eventually, there'll be no more miracles that can save us. Next, Harari considers greenhouse gas emissions. Most scholars and an increasing number of politicians realize the reality of global warming and the magnitude of the danger. Yet this recognition has so far failed to change our actual behavior in any significant way. We talk a lot about global warming, But in practice, humankind is unwilling to make the serious economic, social, or political sacrifices necessary to stop this catastrophe. Between 2000 and 2010, emissions didn't decrease at all. On the contrary, they increased at an annual rate of 2.2%. Most nations are not meeting the targets set out in the Kyoto Protocol and the Paris Accord and some of the most important countries have refused to ratify either of them. And the Accords themselves defer most of the difficult problems until after 2030. Why don't we address this problem? Harari suggests it's because too many politicians and voters believe that as long as the economy grows, scientists and engineers will always find a way to save us from doomsday. When it comes to climate change, many true believers in growth don't just hope for miracles, they take it for granted that miracles will happen. But how rational is it to risk the future of humankind on the assumption that future scientists will make unknown planet-saving discoveries? Again, let's pause and really hear what Harari is saying. Here are some of the words he uses. Uh, We are locked in a double bind, approaching ecological Armageddon. Managing this double race becomes more difficult by the year. Every stride brings us closer to the brink. Since the pace of growth keeps accelerating, the margins for error keep narrowing. If previously it was sufficient to invent something amazing once a century, now we have to have a miracle every two years. This is a crazy hope. But it is not a rational hope, and it obstructs us from doing what we need to do. It's best just to be honest about the true path we are on. It is the path towards destruction. Mostly we can't admit it because it is depressing. If you want to write an international bestseller, you can't really conclude with, yep, we're going to destroy ourselves or when a scientist writes a book telling us how bad things are, they have to conclude on a hopeful, positive note, with the idea of motivating us. But let's be honest, the data is not pointing in a positive direction. We are on the path of destruction. The modern covenant requires continual growth, and this has led us to the brink of ecological disaster. And we are almost certainly going to cross the threshold into disaster. We cannot easily give up our dependence on growth and therefore cannot make the changes needed. Harari notes that even if we continue running fast enough and manage to fend off both economic collapse and ecological meltdown, the rat race itself creates huge problems. For the individual, it results in high levels of stress and tension. After centuries of economic growth and scientific progress, life should have become calm and peaceful, at least in the most advanced countries. The truth is very different. Despite all our achievements, we feel constant pressure to do and produce even more. We blame ourselves, our boss, the mortgage, the government, the school system. But it is not really their fault. It is the modern deal that we all signed up for on the day we were born. In the pre-modern world, people were akin to lowly clerks in a social bureaucracy. We punched our cards and waited for somebody else to do something. In the modern world, we humans run the business, so we are constantly under pressure and Day and night. On the other hand, Harari notes that the anxieties resulting from the modern world are assuaged to a large extent by the many goods and services produced by free market capitalism. This is one reason why this particular ideology has become so popular. Capitalist thinkers repeatedly call us, Don't worry, it'll be okay. Provided that the economy grows, the invisible hand of the market will take care of everything else. Capitalism has thus sanctified a voracious and chaotic system that grows by leaps and bounds without anyone understanding what is happening or where we are rushing to. At this point, Harari pivots to introducing the topic for his next chapter, The Religion of Humanism. But should we really be pivoting? If things are as dire as Harari describes, we need to face our problems head-on. This brings me back to the topic of hope. Humans cooperate based on intersubjective realities. The stories create a common set of beliefs at the intellectual level, and they are usually supported by our emotions. For example, we are all aware of how anger And fear can be used to motivate people, usually in a negative way. Anger and fear can be thought of as fuel that provide energy for the actions behind our beliefs. Hope is also a fuel. We tend to think of hope as being a positive motivator, but that's not necessarily the case. For example, the Nazis envisioned a thousand-year Reich which was supposed to be a glorious German empire that lasted for a thousand years. They were hopeful. But their hope, and their other emotions, fueled some of the worst crimes against humanity that the world has ever seen. Even though hope is generally a good and positive thing, it can be used for negative ends. As Harari noted, the main problem with addressing oncoming ecological Armageddon is we don't believe in it yet. This is a big concern. We have hope that the scientists or the invisible hand of the market will make everything work out fine. Sometimes this hope is explicit, but many times it is not. It may be more of an unspoken hope, possibly a small refusal to think about reality and just turn on the TV instead. While this hope is not as explicitly destructive as the Nazis' hope, it is problematic too, because it facilitates us ignoring our problems, and nothing gets done. As I mentioned in the trailer episode, a big reason I wanted to make this podcast was because of hope. We need a better hope, I'm especially thinking of people who are facing up to our reality and feeling despair. For example, the young people in the Fridays for the Future movement, who have been motivated by Greta Thunberg. I've listened to Greta talk about the despair that she felt when she first internalized climate change and related environmental problems like mass extinctions. Greta and these young people are facing up to the magnitude of our problems, and of course, as the future unfolds, they will experience it. I really appreciated the comments Greta made in Time magazine about finding hope in people and the justice movements we are seeing. I agree with her. But when things get difficult, will it be enough to keep them hoping and working for a better future? I certainly hope so. In this podcast, I am trying to make a contribution by providing a broad evolutionary vision that could support that hope and help bring other people on board. It's great to see young people becoming active on climate change, and it is great to see people speaking out against injustice and harassment in the Black Lives Matter or Me Too movements but we shouldn't take it for granted that it will be enough. I think to get to the finish line, we need to understand how we evolved and what makes us different from animals. It was a change in our ability to cooperate, and this method of cooperation has its dark side. It requires a steady supply of victims to which we can channel our violence to let pressure off the system. And we need to admit that Homo sapiens, as we know them, cannot solve these problems. There is no government or system that we can establish that will make this all turn out okay. And we need a clear vision for what humans might look like once we learn a new way of cooperating. And then each of us need to start training to make this transition. The words of Mahatma Gandhi fit well here. We need to be the change we want the world to see. This is where we need to place our hope if we want to make it. I really like how Greta in her Time Magazine article acknowledged that the changes needed to solve climate change are not possible within today's societies. She's absolutely right. But I would go a step further. It isn't so much that the government or the system are the problem, The problem is us. We need to change in fundamental ways. Perhaps you are saying that I am too pessimistic. Maybe you are right. But have you heard of the Stockdale Paradox? It is named after Admiral James Stockdale, who fought in the Vietnam War and was captured by the Viet Cong. He was held prisoner from 1965... 1973. The Viet Cong captured thousands of U.S. soldiers and brutalized many of them into confessing all sorts of crimes they did not commit. Like the others, Admiral Stockdale underwent torture and lived in subhuman conditions. Stockdale lived to tell his horrific tale because he managed to deal with the realism of his appalling situation with a small measure of optimism you might want to look up his story. He bore incredible torture and at the same time was incredibly resourceful, helping other prisoners to manage pain and stay in communication with each other. When asked in an interview how he survived, he said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail and in the end turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect I would not trade. The interviewer then asked, who didn't survive? Oh, that's easy, he said. The optimists. The interviewer pressed Stockdale for more details. The optimists? Oh, they were the ones who said, we're all going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're all going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. The Stockdale paradox is based on the principle of realism blended with a small measure of optimism. I'm sure Stockdale seemed pessimistic to his fellow POWs by not buying into the vision of everyone being free by Christmas. The paradox is, Stockdale's realism actually gave him a lot of strength. We need this kind of strength. Sure, it is optimistic to believe that the scientists or the markets will save us, but where is this optimism getting us? It causes us to ignore our problems, and then when the reality of the situation hits... It causes us to despair and possibly give up hope. What I'm advocating for is having a hope that is focused on the long game, with no sugarcoating of reality. Although I have a lot of respect for both scientists and markets, I don't think they can save us. I also think it is a bad idea to put our hope in the fundamental goodness of humanity. Homo sapiens are not fundamentally good. What Homo sapiens are is fundamentally oriented to their own survival, and they compete against others to accomplish it. True, we cooperate in ways other animals cannot, but our cooperation is still in the context of competing for our own advantage through establishing alliances. In some ways, it's only natural. Other animals compete to survive, too. The difference for humans is that since the last cognitive revolution, we have learned to cooperate in much larger groups through our intersubjective realities. Modern society, with its modern deal, is a natural result of who we are as Homo sapiens. In some ways, modern society is an incredible accomplishment, but on the flip side, it has led us to the brink and we cannot go on as we are. We have become too powerful to continue relying on our traditional method for controlling violence, which is only one step removed from the animal methods. Therefore, we need to think big about what changes are required if we want to survive. Anything less than us evolving into a new species is too small a vision. We need to put our hope in the idea that we can evolve and then reach out and train to make it happen. We need to do the seemingly impossible because no one will do it for us. Okay, this brings us to the end of episode 6. Let me summarize what we discussed in this episode. Modernity is a deal. Humans agree to give up meaning in exchange for power. We can do anything we want, provided we can find a way. Hindu revivalists, pious Muslims, Japanese nationalists, and Chinese communists may declare their adherence to very different values and goals, but they have all come to believe that economic growth is the key to realizing their desperate goals. The nemesis of the modern economy is ecological collapse. As the pace of growth and change keep on accelerating, the margins for error keep on narrowing. If previously it was sufficient to invent something amazing once a century, now we need a miracle invention every two years, just to keep the system going and avoid collapse. This acceleration cannot go on indefinitely. And yet people continue to place their hope in the market's and in growth. This false hope is a barrier to really dealing with our problems. It would be better to place our hope in the possibility of a second cognitive revolution where a new version of humanity emerges that cooperates in a new way. The problems we face today are not really the fault of the government, or religion, or anything else. Yes, they are part of the modern deal that Harari talks about, but in the end they are really intrinsic to who we are. We need to change if we want a future. Hope is the fuel that will help us make this change, but we need to make sure our hope is focused on the right thing. Evolving into a new species is a big deal. Our hope needs to be pushing us in the right direction or we will run out of gas. Thanks for listening. As you can imagine, I would love to get feedback on this podcast from some younger people. Maybe I can define younger people as anyone under 30 years old. If the only people who listen are middle-aged white males like myself, I won't have accomplished what I was hoping to. I would like to have conversations with a variety of people coming from various backgrounds. We all need to find an enduring hope, and as I noted in this episode, I have thought about youth in particular as I made it. It is an audacious goal to think that I could say something that young people might find hopeful. But we need to think big, right? I feel like they might find this podcast helpful and hopeful but the only way I'll really know is by having those conversations and getting feedback. So if you know some younger people who are concerned for the future, want to make the world a better place, and might be interested in this kind of podcast, which approaches our problems from a theoretical perspective, I would really appreciate it if you could recommend it to them. Thank you. We have now reached the halfway point. Rory's book has 11 chapters, and we have completed 6 of them. Thank you so much for sticking with me and making it to this point. For those of you who are listening in real time, you should know that I will be taking a break for the holidays to refuel, so I will not be posting weekly episodes. I wish each of you a happy and safe holidays. COVID-19 will make this holiday season unique challenging and possibly lonely. But I hope each of you is able to relax and enjoy yourself and connect with family and friends, even if you are only able to connect over the phone or Zoom. And I look forward to reconnecting with you in the new year and finishing up the last half of Harari's book.